Well, let's pray um, as we move into the message for this morning. Um, Jesus, we do thank you. Uh, I pray, I pray you'd prepare our hearts even more for Christmas, which is coming so soon here, by reminding us that that you are God with us. You are with us, Jesus. Um, Holy Spirit, come. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, uh, it's it's an honor to be with you guys. Uh, the Sunday before Christmas, really glad that you have come to worship together, and especially if you're visiting this morning, I want you to know how glad that we are to have you here with us, and I do hope to see all of you on Christmas Eve, 5 o'clock, one service right in here. Uh, we're going to pull the tables out and, and put in chairs, and um, we really hope that you take us up on our encouragement to use those cards to invite people and tell them you'll save them a seat. Um, so Christmas is coming, and, and we've been in a series that we've been calling Vintage Christmas, where we're looking back at the original vintage story of the birth of Jesus and what it means for you and I. And as I was just pondering this um, and thinking about Christmas, uh, it's interesting to think back on how you experienced Christmas as a, a kid, as a child. Um, I, I was doing some of that, and I thought back to... Christmas as a child, and for me, I thought of all the different places where we lived, all these different places where we celebrated Christmas, because our family moved quite a bit. We moved a lot. Um, and then thinking about celebrating Christmas in all these different homes and houses that we lived in and the different places we live um, really helped me go, wow, we really did move a lot. My parents were here first service. My mom's nodding like that, yeah. Um, I changed schools six times by junior high, by eighth grade. Um, and so one thing that I got familiar with was the experience of being the new kid. Anybody else been the new kid ever before, right? A few of us, the new kid. It's a very unique experience. Um, and as the new kid, I noticed that there was an important event that happened each time that I was, again, the new kid. Um, and that important event was day one at the cafeteria, right? Finding somebody to sit with. Anybody resonate with that whole thing? Yeah. Um, and, and that experience could make or break the year. And I've had both experiences where, where I found some kids to sit with, and whew, even if I didn't hang out with them the rest of the year so much, at least I had that relief of being the new kid and not sitting alone. And I also had the other experience where um, I was the kid sitting alone, um, you know, being a new kid that many times, it, it happens. Um, and it just makes me think of that idea of being alone, being alone. Um, because for, for all of us, the idea of not being alone, not being lonely, um, and instead having the experience of being with others and knowing somebody is with you, it's something that we all crave to one extent or another. Which brings me to a word that we often only here at Christmas time, but it's a powerful word that describes the reality of who God is, not just at Christmas time, but all of the time, and the word is Emmanuel. Emmanuel. And I remember being struck by a sermon that I heard um, from a few years ago by John Ortberg, where he unpacked this whole idea of Emmanuel 
God with us. And it really stuck with me. And ever since being inspired by his talk, I've wanted to do a message about a single word in that phrase, which is from a verse in the Christmas story. And so this morning, I I just want to talk really and focus in on one word. Um, It's a powerful little word. In that verse where Emmanuel is written, we find it in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, but it's actually a promise that's taken from Isaiah 7:14, which was a prophecy from hundreds of years before Jesus, where the prophet Isaiah said this, "The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and that's Jesus. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. And so the little word that I want to talk about is the word with. God with us. Not God above us or even God all around us, but God with us. And the reason it's so powerful to think of this word with is I think that from the time we're really little, we instinctively know that being alive, part of being alive means that sometimes we will be alone. And nobody wants to admit to being lonely, but nobody wants to be that kid that sits in the cafeteria at school eating all by himself either. Um, You guys remember a movie, Forrest Gump? Anybody remember this movie, Forrest Gump, right? Uh, Early in the story, while Forrest is still a, a, a kid, probably elementary age, he gets on the school bus... And if you remember the scene, nobody wants Forrest to sit by them. They all kind of move over. This seat's taken. Nope, can't sit here. Seat's taken. And you can kind of feel the pain of his being alone until a little girl named anyone? Jen A. Yes, you got the two-syllable pronunciation. (laughs) Jen A. Until Jen, he says, you can sit next to me. And then he's not alone anymore. Then he is with and Jenny is like an angel to him through the rest of the movie. See, Christmas is all about being with, isn't it? It's being with friends, being with family. It's going to holiday parties, being with other people. Um, Christmas is all about sending out what used to be Christmas cards, but are now Facebook or Instagram posts of amazing holiday experiences that will make other people feel as lonely as you feel when you look at their amazing holiday posts. <laughs> but for some people, um, Christmas is hard. Christmas is hard, especially if you've gone through a loss or a breakup, an illness or depression. Maybe you can't have any children. Maybe you're in the middle of looking for a relationship Um, Or maybe there's reasons you're not even sure why Christmas is so hard, but Christmas can often be, for some of us, the loneliest time of the year. And maybe it is for you, the loneliest time of the year. Now, sometimes we, at least in our culture, tend to think that our loneliness is something that another person could automatically just take away from us. If I was with somebody else, then it'd just take away that loneliness So the problem comes is that when we do finally have that person and we're still finding ourselves lonely at Christmas, then we just tend to think that, well, we just haven't found the right person to be with yet. So we need another person, we think. A uh, theologian by the name of uh, Elvis Presley, (laughs) he put it like this, I'll have a blue Christmas... Without you, without 
you. But the truth is, there's a kind of loneliness that is so deep, it is so in us, that the truth is that no human being, no mere human being can take it away. Which, as a side note, is a really good thing for us to know and learn and realize and stick with, that no person can ultimately take that away, so we don't keep using and hurting and leaving people when they can't fulfill this need that really no other person was designed to permanently fill. But it is normal in the human experience to feel alone. Uh, how many of you are parents here today? Parents, a few parents among us, yes. Um, remember the first time that you held your first child? That first time you held your baby, your first, it's just powerful, beautiful, amazing moment. And um, I love it when people tell, you know, honest stories of that beautiful moment and the weird things that go through their mind. John Artberg, who informed and inspired this message today, he tells a story, um, admits, confesses really. When he held his firstborn child, um, he was enjoying that moment and suddenly he said, it occurred to me that there was a loneliness that she would experience that I couldn't shelter her from. Um, she was going to feel pain in her life. Um, time would pass and even she would feel death and he wouldn't be able to protect her from it. He said it was like the whole arc of her life just flashed before him. And so he said to his wife, Nancy, it's so unbelievable to me that right now this baby I'm holding in my hands is going to grow up one day and grow old. And this pink, smooth, perfect skin that I'm holding, one day it's going to be all wrinkled and blemished. And this cute little red hair is going to one day turn white and gray, and then he looked at his wife and said, and then we're going to grow old, and we'll die, and she'll grow old, and she'll die. This little baby that I'm holding right now is going to feel alone, and will die. And his wife said to him, give me the baby, you are creeping her out. <laughs> See, because for all of us, all of us, no matter how perfectly life starts out, no matter how perfectly it, it starts, uh, the truth is, at some point, all of us will experience loneliness and aloneness. Some of the most influential thinkers in our last century have argued that loneliness is an inevitable human condition. It's inevitable. The philosopher Jean-Paul Sartre said, the reason we're lonely is that we are meaning-seeking creatures but we live in a meaningless world. The biologist scientist Richard Dawkins wrote that the reason we're lonely is that the universe offers no hope, quote, no design, no purpose, no good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Put that on like cards you send out, yeah. See, here's some good news, though, because the story of Christmas, the story of Christmas is a claim that things are not that way. They are not the way that philosophers tend to spin them. The story of Christmas is not that, the world isn't that way. You were actually made by God, and God actually hates loneliness. See, God states clearly in Genesis chapter 2, it is not good for people to be what? Alone. Alone. 
See, I think you could say that God doesn't want anybody sitting at the metaphorical table of the cafeteria of life by themselves. In fact, I think the case is made and can be made that a central theme of the Bible is God's actual desire to be with people. One Old Testament scholar counted 114 times in the Hebrew scriptures alone, which is the Old Testament, where God says, I will be with you. Don't be afraid. You won't be alone. And you don't have to go through life living in loneliness. And if you read through the Old Testament, there's all these pictures God gives them of his presence of being with them as a people. He has them build a temple that's like his house. And he says, I will be with you and hear your prayer. I will be with you to receive your worship. I will be with you to give you guidance. I will be with you through scriptures. And so that's all through the Old Testament. But it's almost like all of that withness that God presented to them wasn't enough to satisfy God. So finally he says, I know what I'm going to do. I am going to go down there and be with those people myself. Emmanuel, God with us. See, that's Jesus. That's the Christmas story. And, and, and that's Christmas when the biggest miracle shows up in the smallest of packages. Just imagine. It's mind-blowing to imagine what we call incarnation, which means God in the flesh of human beings. Incarnation in the flesh. Imagine uh, why some people find this so hard to believe is that it's almost too good to be true. God causes all of his person, all of God's presence, all of God's majesty, all of God's power causes it to be condensed and compacted into one fragile, frail, human little body of a baby. And he goes down to earth to be with people, starting with <laughs> a peasant, impoverished girl named Mary and her family. And they will call him, the scripture says, Emmanuel, which means God with us. Because Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. And that word with really, I think, describes so much about the life of Jesus. I mean, if we just read through stories in, in the Gospels um, about the life of Jesus, we see so many examples. Like at the beginning of his ministry in Mark chapter 3, verse 14, we're told that Jesus takes this ragamuffin crew of fishermen and tax collectors, and he appoints 12, and it says, designating them apostles that they might be with him. There's that word with again. And then later in Acts chapter 4, we're told the authorities are just blown away by the courage of the disciples. And when the religious leaders of the day, it said they realized these were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that they had been, what? With Jesus. With Jesus. See, Jesus is with beggars and with lepers and with foreigners and with prostitutes and with enemy soldiers. One time, because Jesus hung out with so many sketchy people, his critics called him the friend of sinners, and they intended it as an insult. But for Jesus, it was like a badge of honor. See, in one way, that little word with is part of what Jesus got killed over 
Because he kept hanging out with the wrong people, (laughs) scandalous people. And so the religious authorities had Jesus hung on a cross and he died. But then, three days later, he was resurrected. And right after he rises from the dead, that little word, with, that word comes up again. The last sentence of Matthew's gospel, Jesus tells his followers, he's talking to them, he says, and surely I am what? With you always. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Like even as he's getting ready to ascend back to heaven, Jesus says, I am with you. Now people wonder about how that works. It's like, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. How could Jesus be with people once he is not present bodily? Which is a reasonable question, right? How's he going to be with us if he's not physically here? He's going to go back to heaven. We know that that happens But he just said, I'm going to be with you always. How does that work? Well, being with someone is about much more than just physical proximity. It's more than being just physically there to be with someone. In fact, you've probably experienced the opposite of this, um, where, you know, some people, some people can have bodies um, sitting at the same dinner table with you, but their presence, their attention, their mind, and their soul are a million miles away, and we call these people husbands, right? So, But being with someone is more than just physical proximity because you can be sitting there and not really be with someone. And so it's even more so when Jesus says this, I'll be with you always even after he's ascended to heaven. What he is saying, what I think he's saying here is I am with you always is now that he's become human, crucified, resurrected, he is no longer restricted by a physical body like you and I are. So now he can be physically present with anybody and he can be with you and he wants to be with you. That's the personal for you message of Christmas. And by the way, if you want a simple practice, a simple practice that can help you experience the reality of this God with us, then Tomorrow morning, try this when you wake up. Just, you can just say, be with me, Jesus. Be with me, Jesus. And he will. He really will. See, we even know, right, that God is already present, even before we invite him to be with us. So he's present, but the deal is we often aren't tuned in to his presence, are we? I know that's true for me. He's there, but I'm just not tuned in. And so that's where that practice can help. Be with me, Jesus. Reminds us that he's there and he will be with us. He'll be with us in our thoughts. He'll be with us when you go to work. He can be with you in your family. He can be with you in your pain. He can be with you in your hopes. He can be with you in your loneliness. And he can be with you through other people. In fact, the Bible says, particularly God is with us. His presence is with us when you are around the least of these, the poor, the sick, the imprisoned, the forgotten, when you are with them because God is close to those people, Scripture says that Jesus is right there. He's with them. He is with you. See, there's this supernatural power, friends. There's a supernatural power that that comes when we cultivate this awareness of the reality of God being with us in everyday life. And that idea, that awareness, 
tuning in to God being with us, that's the power that makes weak people strong. That's where we get that power. Being aware that God is with us, tuned into that reality, is the power that can turn a deathbed into a place of victory. That supernatural awareness of the reality of God's presence with us brings hope to people in their old age. It brings courage to people who are worn out and fearful. It brings freedom to people who are addicted and couldn't get free any other way because now they know and they're aware of the reality that God is with them, with us. See, that's the supernatural power of being in touch with the reality of Emmanuel, God being with us in everyday life. And, and I remind myself, and I have to remind myself often because I often forget that though I feel alone, and when I feel alone, I am never alone. Emmanuel is with me and with you. John Ortberg said this about feeling alone. He said, it turns out that our loneliness is kind of a clue about who we are. Just like the fact that hunger indicates that we were made to eat, and the fact that thirst indicates that we were made to drink, our loneliness tells us that we were made for God and to be with God. So powerful. That loneliness is a clue. It tells us that we were made for God and to be with God. Nothing else will do. Nothing else will satisfy it's an old Beatles song called Eleanor Rigby. It asks this melancholy question. Anybody remember the line? All the lonely people, right? Where do they all come from? All the lonely people, where do they all belong? If that gets stuck in your head this week for Christmas, you're welcome. There you go. Just turn on the carols. Yeah. But what a poignant question. Even as melancholy as that is, where do they all come from? Where does all that loneliness come from? And I wonder if the answer to that question is, it comes from choosing to live without God, choosing to live apart from God, choosing to live apart from God's love because it's there, it's available. God is here, he is with you. He is everywhere available to us. And we can step into that with God peace. So the good news of Christmas is the reminder, you don't have to go through life that way. You do not have to go through life that way. You can ask Jesus to be with you. And particularly, I think this is important, if you're having a hard time with the holidays, to just remember that you can experience and be with Jesus at Christmas. And maybe for some of you, you haven't ever stepped into that idea of being with God. What a great time to do it at Christmas. What a great time. Like, you can be with God and ask him to forgive you of all of the wrongdoing, the stuff you're embarrassed about, uh, forgive you of the sin, uh, forgive you of the flaws and heal you from the flaws that make us all hide from each other, make us isolated and feel so lonely. See, Jesus came to be with us so we'd never truly be alone. And he offers you a fresh start with his forgiveness 
And so if you've never made that decision, or if it's been a long time since you've really dialed into the presence of God with you in your life, that's a decision that you can make today. And maybe some of you, you've already been a Christian for a long time. Maybe you've known God for a while, but, but it's felt like he's not really with you. It's felt like he's just far away. And maybe it's felt that way for some time. And I just want to say, listen, he is with you. He is with you. He is with you. Like, like we are the ones who wander off. He hasn't gone anywhere, right? We're the ones that wander off, forget grow cold, withdraw. He's never left. He is right there with us. And again, Christmas is this reminder that Jesus came, he broke down every barrier and he wants to be with you. He's right there, right now. You can turn to him right now. You can begin all over again with him right now and make space for him in your everyday life. Now, I have one more with piece that I want to touch on here, and it has to do with being the church and how Jesus intended that being together as the church is another way to experience being with God because he calls us the body of Christ. He calls us, the church, the body of Christ, which is another way of experiencing being with and, in fact, with God through the church. Now, I think that Jesus knew it was going to be pretty normal for our sense of being with him to kind of ebb and flow. Like, I feel it sometimes, sometimes I don't. He also knew that being isolated isn't a good thing for any of us, no matter how consistently. Like, maybe you're really good at staying dialed into the presence of God with you all the time. He still knew that isolation is not a good thing. Because even if we live in that awareness that Jesus is always with me as an individual, even if I live with that awareness, we can still get lonely. And I think that that's why there's another big with promise that Jesus makes, and it's found right in the middle-ish of, of Matthew, the book of Matthew. Matthew 18, 20, Jesus says, For where two or three gather in my name, there I am, what? With them. There I am with them. He's with us. He's also with us. And this is an amazing promise. By the way, this, this is specifically speaking to if there's conflict, we get two or three of you together to kind of work this out, Jesus is right there with you. But it speaks to much more than that. It says that where we are gathered as the church and gathered in his name, he is with us. And it's an amazing promise that, that Jesus actually has a plan to address our loneliness. And his plan is that you and I, those who follow him, would, would create a community that's really kind of a family, a family that would embrace anybody who needs to be loved. Because God hates it when anyone sits alone at the metaphorical cafeteria table of life. You know, I think about our world and loneliness, and isn't it ironic don't you think um, that in, hey, somebody caught that. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh-huh. <laughs> Isn't it ironic that in our day, that technology is increasing and there's advances, right? Um, so poverty is going down. Illiteracy is going down. Disease is going down. Except for COVID. Um, but with all these advances and all the stuff going down, guess what's going up? Loneliness is on the rise, There was a study in 2018, keep in mind, this is before the pandemic, 
where things have actually gotten worse in this arena. Study in 2018, the University of California, San Diego, even before the pandemic, they found that loneliness is a much bigger problem than researchers ever thought. They found that three out of every four Americans are suffering from loneliness. And it's not just here in the U.S., Uh, Loneliness is so epidemic in England, maybe some of you have heard about this, that the the UK appointed a cabinet-level government position, this is an official job title, called the Minister of Loneliness, (laughs) to address this problem. How'd you like that on your business card? I am the Minister of Loneliness. And this is before lockdown, so all the research has said it's even gotten worse. Um, In the last number of years, a whole field of treatment emerged in psychology called pet therapy. Pet therapy. This is not counseling for your dog. So I'm sure there is that, though. Anybody, right? Probably. There's probably that. But I'm not talking about pet therapy. Is um, um, These studies have shown that the companionship of a pet can lessen the pain of isolation. Right? Um, Emotional support dogs, right? Anyone see that? I wish I would have had time because I've got to work this into another sermon because it's just too good. Uh, the emotional support animals that you can have. There, uh, there was emotional port, um, support um, tarantulas to bring on the plane. Um, to bring on the plane, an emotional support peacock. I uh, saw emotional support llama. Matt, that would take up some space, wouldn't it? A llama sitting next to you? Anyway. Sorry, back, back, to the, back to where we're at here. Okay, so pets. We, we love pets. They warm our hearts. They can be very therapeutic. In fact, there's a dog with 209,000 Instagram followers. 209,000 followers on Instagram. Have you seen the photos of this famous Dalmatian named Wiley? Look at that. He's got a nose shaped like a heart, right? Look at that dog. Who could resist that dog? Which of you parents or grandparents would not buy your child or your grandchild a dog for Christmas? Yeah, I see that hand, yes. (laughs) Yeah, there's no kids in here, so otherwise it'd be like, kids, the pastor was joking. It's all joking. Um, but, But often we buy cats or dogs or rabbits, even goldfish, to reduce the loneliness because we are lonely people. Over the last 30 years... Uh, the number of Americans' close friends whom they can confide in, close friends, have dropped 50%. And so when tragedies like COVID come or the polarizing of our nation or the instability of the economy, things that have devastated so many people, we're lonely and we wonder, (laughs) where is God? What can I do in this? Well, Jesus actually had a plan has a plan, that when tragedies come, like the pandemic, or when a family loses a child, or when an aging person battles an illness, or when somebody loses a job, or when somebody goes through divorce, or when someone feels rejected, Jesus had a plan for when hard times hit. His plan was that nobody stands alone. Nobody stands alone. Worship team, will you come? Psalm 68, such a great line in this psalm. It praises God, a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows is God in his holy dwelling. 
And I love this line. God sets the lonely in families. God sets the lonely in families, leads out the prisoners with singing. God sets the lonely in families. And Jesus came up with the idea of the church being the family of God, the body of Christ where no one has to stand alone. And see, this is a big part of what we are learning about and trying to grow in here at Hope, that this is a family and that Jesus is with us, right here in the middle of it, with us. You know, here's the deal. Sometimes, you know, because the church is a mess, we just get frustrated with the people and we want out. Um, the church is dysfunctional oftentimes, right? Um, by the way, how many of you come from completely functional families with no dysfunction at all? Raise your hand if you have a completely functional. No one? Okay. Any wonder that the church also has dysfunction? This is what grace is for doesn't excuse it. We don't cover it up. We don't pretend. We address it. We want to grow. We want to heal. We don't mistreat people. We put things in the light. We want to be a healthy family. But walking away from church or gathering with believers leaves you out of the mix there of what God intended because no one stands alone. They don't have to stand alone. We can be a family that learns and grows together because Jesus is right here in the middle of it. By the way, I think this is one of the benefits of being a smaller church, that we actually have a better chance to grow in what it means to be a family. Um, Because this isn't supposed to be a flashy show. (laughs) Sunday morning here, our focus isn't trying to just entertain or amuse us or cater to customers. Um, We believe that our church is called to invite people into the family of God, where we follow Jesus together. We learn about being brothers and sisters who offer prayer and presence, encouragement, where we challenge each other to grow as we are with God and with each other. And our church is on a journey to be more of a family, imperfectly, of course. But friends, Jesus is right here in the middle with us. And I think he has good news for us this morning as he is with us. And the good news for all of us is is the message of Christmas that God is with us. God and sinful, broken, imperfect people are reconciled because of Emmanuel, God with you, if you want him. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I thank you that you are here. And I pray right now for every need of every person within the sound of my voice. I pray for every aching, lonely, broken, empty heart. I pray for the life of every person, young or old, that you would be Emmanuel, God with us, for each of us, that we would experience that. I pray this in Jesus' name. And I ask that in this holy moment, Jesus, you would receive now our worship and our wonder, our adoration and our praise, that you would shower this room with hope and love as you are with us. 
Holy Spirit, come. In Jesus' name.